0: I uh, landed on both my kneecaps at about five feet in the air uh, in hard sand. Um, I had no cartilage. I shattered the cartilage behind my right kneecap. So I spent about seven hours in the ER, and there, you know, I was like, I, I have nowhere to go.
1: This is the Adventure Sports Podcast. I'm trying to help you find adventure every day, in any stage of life. You're going to hear from explorers, adventurers, business owners... And anyone living their life a little more out of the box than usual. Hey folks, hope you're having a good week so far. Uh, Thank you for all the folks that are sharing, that are telling friends about the show, family about the show, um, that are sharing it on social media because it's making a huge difference. We are killing it this month, so let's keep that going. Tell somebody about it this week Keep up the good work You're the reason the show's happening So thank you Um, Today's Throwback Thursday episode is with Travis He's one of the old hosts And it's from March 2016 Um, But it's about motorcycles and Eric Hogan Who found this company, Wolfman Motorcycle Luggage And also his love for motorcycle touring And uh, yeah, I hope you enjoy It's something I'm definitely starting to get into So I'm pretty interested to listen to it I've actually never listened to this episode uh, today's sponsor is cs instant coffee you know you've heard their name before they're the makers of 100 arabica instant coffee and compostable packages and i actually just went on a backpacking trip and took some with me it was crucial because i need coffee not a whole lot of things i need in this world but i need coffee so i brought some with me it was great get a discount with them in the show notes and here is the episode enjoy
2: Welcome back to another episode of the Adventure Sports Podcast. This is your host, Travis. Today on the line with me is Eric Hogan from Wolfman Luggage. Wolfman Luggage does motorcycle luggage. They're an American company with American-made products. And we're going to have a little bit of a, a twist on our regular episodes, and this is going to be another one of the adventure entrepreneur uh, shows. So I want to talk to Eric a little bit about what it's like to, uh, to work doing something you, you truly love. So first of all, Eric, welcome to the show.
0: Thank you very much, Travis. Uh excited to be here.
2: Yeah, it's great to have you. Well, I've been meaning to to catch up with you. I mean, we're we're almost neighbors. Wolfman Luggage yeah. is out of Longmont, Colorado, and I live in Longmont, Colorado and been enjoying your products for for years now, so I'm glad to have you on the show. Well, good.
0: Thank you for the support. Excellent. Um happy to be here. So, if you know, ask any questions, I'll be I'll be glad to answer anything I can.
2: All right. Well, we will do that. So we always like to start off with a little bit of background on our, our guest. So take a little bit of time and, and fill us in. Uh, who is Eric Hogan?
0: I guess I'll go back to the beginning. I grew up over uh, – I've spent a large part of my life overseas in Latin America. Um, I, uh, I was born in El Salvador, actually a month premature, in my parents' bedroom. My dad delivered me. He was uh, Peace Corps staff at the time. Um, they had lived in Bolivia. They were the first crew to go to Bolivia in uh nineteen sixty five. Actually a little before then, sixty uh, four. Um, he grew up overseas in Venezuela. His dad was a uh, geologist for Creole Oil. They did all the a lot of the exploration for Hugo Chavez. And, um so I speak fluent Spanish or as fluent as I can get. Um we've lived we lived in the States for a little bit, um, and then in the late seventies Mid to late '70s, we moved overseas to the Dominican Republic, and then to Bolivia again. He was then with the uh, State Department, and then uh, I, I kind of, uh, I they were moving back to the Dominican Republic in uh, 1984. 80, yeah, '84, and uh, I went off to pri- private boarding school in New Hampshire. And then uh did not like it there. Um, I was not a great student. I was a good kid, not a great student. I uh did uh five years of high school. I had to repeat my junior year. And then uh, my senior year was done at a uh, school called the Colorado Rocky Mountain School in Carbondale, Colorado. And then how did I, I guess we'll f- flip a little bit into how did I get into this. I've always been, as my dad called it, and I was talking to some of my uh staff today that I've been a chitty chitty bang bang kind of guy (laughs) with my hands always fixing stuff building stuff fixing my bike Um, I even went so far one time in uh, Bolivia I had an old Schwinn Stingray and I wanted to do something different to the bike and it had a bladed fork so it was a most probably mildish steel or mild utensil well I built a fire in our backyard barbecue Got it nice and hot, took that fork, stuck it in, got it nice and hot, and proceeded to beat it straight <laughs> on the cement and so it went from kind of a bent fork to a nice bladed straight fork, and filed it, cleaned it, got the uh the uh the wheel slots and everything pretty true and everything like that so i i I've been involved with that for a while. Um, how did I get interested in motorcycling um I was a, a child in the mid seventies I was living in the States. And, uh, one of the guys on on our block, uh, rode motorcycles. Motocross, actually. He started out on an XR75 four speed. So that was about a 72, 74 era bike. And then, uh, progressed into a Honda CR125 Elsinore. One of the black and silver and green ones. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. Elsinore. That was yeah. like
0: the bike of the time. Right. And to go, and, and he, he had leather pants. Leather motocross pants. Um, We lived on a dead end, so there was a a vacant lot back there, and they used to there was kind of a track, and so we'd go out and watch them ride once in a while, and so on. So that was really cool. And uh, when we moved from there to the Dominican Republic in nineteen late seventy seven, we got two. My brother and I got two Honda Z fifties. And that was the start of
2: it. Uh, <laughs> I think most of us have started out on that little bike.
0: <laughs> yeah. And uh, what really started this adventure lifestyle or this adventure motorcycling thing, the bikes had been around. But really what kicked it off, I think if you looked at history, you know, kind of those milestones for for industry or people was, you know, Charlie and Ewan's trip around the world, uh, Long Way Around. That really kind of started this bug if you will but so for me um i can't remember the year i'd have to go you'd have to look it back in the ama and so on or actually just call the two guys and ask them if they remember um one of the biggest highlights for me getting into you know i didn't know i was going to get a motorcycle later in life but or later when i mean we're talking like two years um had an opportunity uh, when we lived in Louisiana, to go to the Superdome and watch the Supercross. And I watched Marty Smith beat Bob Hanna on the 250 class. That was it. That was the highlight. I remember watching uh, uh Wide World of Sports. Yeah, I'm old enough to remember ABC. Yeah, it was ABC's Wild World of Sports. They did a whole expose on uh Marty Smith and how he's kind of the California kid and where he came from and that was just so cool and so to watch him win was that was just awesome and uh from then on it was just been in a a, uh a love affair with motorcycling i remember looking at a popular mechanics and seeing an r80gs in there and uh kind of thinking wow that was pretty cool what is bmw doing and stuff like that but uh kind of spent a lot of time in the outdoor industry or outdoor fields. Um I was um uh, doing a lot of climbing, mountain climbing, rock climbing, that kind of thing. Spent a semester in Alaska with a outfit called Knowles National Outdoor Leadership School. Throughout college I did a lot of rock climbing my first semester. Spent a lot of time on rock, not a lot of time in class. Um didn't quite know what I wanted to do and then um I met some uh, someone who did a lot of sewing repairs for um, one of the bi- uh, outdoor shops, and she started to explain her what her degree is in, and so I went to investigate that. and so I, 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 I have a degree in apparel production. I studied the processes of manufacturing clothing, how to design it, how to make patterns, how to cost it, how to manufacture it, how to sell it. Um, the whole nine yards um, and uh, but i didn 't like to make clothes. Um, I was making backpacks and fanny packs and all kinds of stuff at the time, um, which was really difficult for the teachers to grade, which was kind of interesting but i didn 't want to make clothes and they said sure and uh, but that 's where I got the, this you know, this love to assemble now how to make stuff. And I found that sewing was the way to do it. I did an internship at a backpack and bicycle touring company called Madden Mountaineering in Boulder, Colorado. They no longer exist, but uh, their bicycle touring equipment was, was spot on. It was world traveled. Um, but I had left uh, and then started Wolfman. I, uh, I started Wolfman in 1990, or went into the motorcycle industry in 1992, actually. It was in the backpack industry. I tried to make a line of backpacks, and I went nowhere. So I was like, hmm, not backpacking as much as I used to. I'm riding my motorcycle more. I actually uh, went from an N- NX650 to a RAGS BMW and uh, went to the Dealer Expo, which was in Cincinnati at the time. It was vastly different to the point where you had to go to shows to do distribution to get your name out. It was very difficult. You had to go to rallies and whatnot. It was very difficult. Now, it is incredibly simple. The access for information, to give people information is huge and very simple compared to what that was. Um, I started Wolfman in the uh, second bedroom, the guest bedroom of our house. I would take the mattress off the bed, which was my table. I would do my stuff and put the mattress back on at the end of the day.
2: Well, I can completely relate to your your desire to create with anything. I I'm you know have admitted to enjoying sewing myself to the extent that I've learned how to run all kinds of lathes and mills and and uh, machinery and weld and but sewing is just creating just like that with a different material and the fact that my daughter and my wife have sewing machines in the house is very helpful because i can jump on those and repair some piece of motorcycle equipment or sew a zipper onto it i've i've made little chin skirts for a dual sport helmet to keep the wind out of there and it's just a it's another way to create and tinker with just another material so i totally get your your desire to do that and to create this motorcycle luggage
0: well as uh, it was funny i was sitting down with one of my Professors, and he was a professor in the in the uh, uh, more in the the the, uh, machine side of things at uh, in the college. And uh, I said, "Yeah, I I sew." And he's like, "Ah, just different facets of manufacturing." Yes, all. He had Mm -hmm. kind of a southern twang. He was a cool dude, Um, and uh, it was true. I mean, it's just a different facet of putting something together. Instead of nuts and bolts, you're using thread and punch through and. Uh, assembling it with a needle. Um, so, it's just something I, I, I knew, I knew how, I, I've been able to sew for a, quite a number of years. I actually beat up my mom's sewing machine to the point where she said, just leave my machine <laughs> um, Yeah, she wasn't too happy with me. Um but, uh, I, I, uh, you know, I learned from some very talented people. I'm a classically trained pattern maker. Um, I do all the pattern work. I use no CAD um or anything like that because it's a you can draw a picture and uh, I guess, you know, some of the things that I know is the bus- business has changed. You know, we we don't manufacture like we used to. And so people draw these pictures, they give it a what what's called a spec sheet, so and give it all the dimensions and just send it off. Let somebody else do the pattern work, let somebody else figure out all that stuff. I don't. I do it with a see-through ruler and a number seven lead pencil. Nice. That's it. And then I, have, I have L squares and French uh, curves and a compass and playing with my compass today. Um, and that's it. I don't. It doesn't need to get any more complex than that. But you have to be able to visualize what. Uh, what uh, I, I have the ability to visualize what I'm.
2: So you sound very hands on with your business still. I mean, you would think, I would think a lot of people 24 years into it would get to the point where they've just kind of pushed some of that, uh, the work that you do off, you know, to other people. But you must truly love what you do, uh, to be down there making the patterns and being down there with everybody else.
0: I don't, uh, I, that's my job. And it has always been to do the design work, the R and D. Uh, that's a, that's been my job, my primary, my main focus. Um, I'm not an accountant. I have an amazing uh, financial manager that works here, um, and she's way smarter than I am in certain things. But can she do pattern work? Most people don't know how to. So I was able to. I have looked at. Uh, do I want to do sales? I get on the phone when I have to deal with a real tough customer most of the time.
2: Right. Let's talk about ups and downs a little bit. Um, You know, in adventure and in business, we have both. Um, A lot of times, especially in business, you know, we think – like you've alluded to people look at it and say, Oh, I want to do what you do. You've made it big time. And it just seems like the grass is so green. I want to do that. But there's obviously some downsides to that. So how about a a business story about, uh, you know, a downtime things that didn't go, uh, right. And let's follow that up with, uh, a time being out on the motorcycle.
0: Okay. Um, a downtime in business um must have been actually it was uh just recently, it was last year. Um I decided to make a change. I looked at Kurt Kurt and Martha Forget who own Black Dog Psycho Works. they have a real unique lifestyle. They've cons- they they've wrapped their business around their lifestyle rather than wrapping their lifestyle around their business. Right. Um, which is uh pretty unique um because uh they spend half the year in Baja now. They built a house and everything. And so I'm like, man, I want to take some time off. I was getting burned out. I mean, after 25 years.
2: Yeah. yeah, I would think so.
0: So I looked at their business model and said, I could do that. I want to try this. So I, and I talked to, I, I went through it really wi- eyes wide open, eyes wide open. And i talked to everybody. I, I talked to them. How they do it, and really gotten down to the nitty gritty I uh talked to a manufacturer and uh said uh, you know i was going to I gave them basically a big chunk of our product line uh to to manufacture for me um, and they oh yeah we can do this, we can do this
1: and
0: uh, we even went to a fulfillment company and they would warehouse and ship the the goods and so then it was just an office that we were going to have. Um, so we didn't need a lot of space, so we moved out of our, we actually had about uh almost 12,000 square feet by the time we we, we had a sewing facility in there with four operators, uh, full-time production manager, the whole bit. Um, and I cleaned house, fired everybody, except two people. There's only two people that came and have been here since then. But I cleaned house, and I was gonna make it small and run things again, oh actually three excuse me three employees. We keep the seamstress on staff um to run to do in house production and then do repairs and any emergency stuff we have to deal with. Um, we moved facilities um, our landlord um over promises and under delivers. We signed a lease January 20th last year. We were not physically in our building until mid-May. We had to leave our other building, so we actually lived with in two offices that we spent about four hours cleaning um, because nobody had cleaned these offices. Um, our stuff was somewhere else, our, all, our, all our stuff, everything we owned, somewhere else in the building. We couldn't get to it. We couldn't ship retail. That was uh, manufacturing was not was not up to speed. Um, another manufacturer just couldn't. It uh, was very unorganized, and it was bad. Just very stressful. So some things didn't work. I mean, we we settled this out. We we survived, but if some things did not work for us and the way our business is run. We straightened up manufacturing. I spent a huge amount of time um, when we talk about product. I looked at all our stuff, and first of all, I looked at I reduced what we had in inventory because we couldn't make it all. And so I had to look at what we made, what makes sense for Wolfman. And so I had to remove quite a bit of product. If you're, the spread between one product A and product B is real close, people don't know which one to get. There's, there's kind of a confusion. Um, so last year was really kind of an interesting year. Uh, it was a struggle. It was frustrating. I mean, we didn't have product for customers. Um, we actually had to, we stopped selling to distributors overseas. Everybody became a dealer. Um, we were not making enough, uh, profit, um, to sell overseas. So, um, a lot of lessons were learned. Um, some good, some bad, but, uh, that was, was, uh, kind of a, I I don't, I want to say while it's going on, it's kind of a low point, but looking back at it, it's like, man, we learned a lot. And, uh, my, my philosophy in life is, you know, make mistakes. You're supposed to. My patterns don't always work some days, but you tried. Biggest thing is, did you learn something? Because if you didn't, then it was a moot point. Then you and if you didn't try it, you'll never go beyond yourself.
1: So we want to thank our sponsor, Athletic Brewing, for promoting a healthy lifestyle through making some of the world's best non-alcoholic craft beer. They make excellent tasting NA for healthy, active, modern adults. They use certified all-organic grains, and each can of non-alcoholic beer is only between 50 and 70 calories. They have IPA, golden ale, stouts and tons of seasonal offerings. And Recently, they actually just took home the gold medal at the U.S. Open Beer Championships for their Double Hop IPA. If you would like to get your hands on some, you can save 15% by using the code ADVENTURE at athleticbrewing.com. Athletic Brewing, the best tasting way to keep your promises. I also want to thank our sponsor, CS Instant Coffee, for making this show happen. They make 100% Arabica instant coffee. They use compostable packaging, and each package makes about 20 ounces of coffee. So I'll take one of those with me on an overnight trip, and it makes two pretty good-sized cups of coffee. And it's an awesome feeling knowing I can just throw that in my backpack, find some hot water, and I'm good to go. Save 20% by using the code ADVENTURE at CSInstant.coffee.
0: Ago, actually, a low point personally. I uh, landed on both my kneecaps at about five feet in the air oh. uh, in hard sand. Um, I had no cartilage. I shattered the cartilage behind my right kneecap. Um, it was actually pretty terrifying when my um, uh, just the event that I had to get out, and I was in Arizona. And my wife had to come get me. Some people, luckily, we have a friend there where I could park my rig. I had to be taken to the hospital. Mm-hmm. Here's one of those things that, you know, if you, you, you wonder how many people, having lived through this, you wonder how many people would be able to put up with this. So I spent about seven hours in the ER and there, you know, I was like, I, I have nowhere to go. My wife was flying in that evening. She got a hotel and, uh, I was like, well, you're, you're, it's time for you to, you know, to check out. And I had to call my own cab. They didn't do it. I'm in a wheelchair. And then the nurse takes me out in outside the emergency exit and so on where, where people would get picked up. Parks me on the sidewalk and says, Have a nice day and walk away. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> Everything else was on me. I had to shuffle into I could barely walk. I had to I had crutches and a bag full of crap. I was able to go to my vehicle and at least get a, like a pair of underwear, just something, you know, stuff that I can take a shower hadn't bathed in a few days. Um, I was at a motorcycle event and uh kind of somehow got my butt in the uh taxi. Taxi got me to the hotel, got out of the hotel. The lady was booked up at the uh, uh front desk and no one was available. I had to walk, I think by the time I was all said and done, through the elevators to the room for about 150 yards, barely walk with crutches and bag full of crap. In my hands like knee braces and just you know like about the size not quite as big as a hefty bag but it sure felt like it that then. Oh, wow. and uh finally got in the hotel room just got on the bed got situated and, and i just fell asleep my wife came in and then the next day we spent one more night in uh, phoenix and flew home got uh to see my orthopedist and he's like oh boy this is not good, Eric. I'm like, yeah, yeah, tell me about it, and so on. And my wife and the nurse left. It was Doc and I, and it, uh, this was the thing that. S- then I got scared. I just, um, I got a little panicky. Uh, he said, "You yeah, know, let's make sure you walk again." And mm-hmm. I was like, "Oh Jesus! Oh God! Oh boy!" I did everything right. Um, though I, I the menis- well, the odd thing was, since my knees were bent when I landed. The meniscus, uh on both knees, the uh, ligaments all are in good shape. The joint itself is in good shape. I can't can't run downstairs, can't run anymore. I can run upstairs and walk quickly upstairs, but I can't run much. And I can't very rarely do you see me get on my knees um, because of that.
2: Yeah. It probably makes hiking difficult too. Great going up. Yeah, so
0: uh, but... I can't yeah. And so I, I, we walk a lot, my wife and I, um, just in our neighborhood, but it's not something I, I just like, eh. Um, so life is an adventure and it's not just in business. It's just life in general.
2: Yep. No doubt. Well, let's talk about business and bootstrapping versus jumping in with both feet. You know, there's two ways to go about it. And it sounds to me like you, you went the bootstrapping route. Um, I think a lot of people out there that, you know, are just getting into business or thinking about getting into business, they're, they're dealing with that question now. So what's your take on, on either or, you know?
0: Well, I mean, first of all, you need to have some funding to, to start a business. I was lucky that my wife, uh, worked and supported us. Um, and I have returned the, returned the favor, if you will. The 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 other thing is so you need some funding. You're gonna to have to get, at some point you're gonna need money. That's uh, whatever it takes. And some people there they can you know, you do you can do it in two ways. One you can just jump into it, cut the ties and jump in. There's a lot of fear in that. So a lot of people start to ease into it. Um you see a lot of uh small companies in like an Venture Rider where people do it as a side job. And uh it slowly starts to gain some uh, legs, if you will, and uh, then they start to cut the apron strings from the full-time uh, guaranteed income. And uh, that usually is sometimes the safest way to go um, and maybe the more comfortable. Or you'd start a business get loans you'd have to get investors and so on Um, but then at that point you really have to be a professional business
2: immediately so we we've heard and learned a lot about uh wolfman as far as the the inner workings of the business and i appreciate that that since we're we're doing this as an entrepreneurial episode um but take a little time and and give us the the highlights what is it Wolfman specifically does and what will people find when they visit your site or see your products in the store? I think, you know, most people know what Wolfman luggage is, but are we talking street bikes, dirt bikes, a little bit of both? We cover,
0: um, we cover motorcycling. I'll say that our focus is adventure and dual sport bikes and enduro bikes. So uh, when I say enduro bike, I'm thinking more of a single cylinder offer of a motorcycle not a motor uh yeah i mean motocross bikes we can fit cuz they they kind of have the same features but um from your big uh, adventure bikes we always talked about uh uh big small big and small big medium and small uh big bike would be your 1200 GS Tenere 1200 that's kind of a, considered a big bike uh medium bike would be like your 650 singles KLR DR650 uh that that category and then small bike uh was kind of your enduro bike WR250R and we kind of th- kind of threw uh KTM 500 525 530 kind of in that small bike category because it's just a smaller stature motorcycle um, so we provide luggage for all that area plus uh, we have a lot of crossover uh any of our dry bags or dry uh expedition dry duffels will fit on any bike Street bike, ATV, UTV, back of your pick, uh, be dustproof, waterproof, and so on. Um uh, we do a small three-piece line, four-street, called the Skyline Series. It consists of a pair of saddlebags, a, a duffel bag, and a tank bag. It's made out of a, uh, uh, sailcloth material. It's a four-layer laminate. Very expensive.
1: And we had to have, we
0: had to buy a dye lot of it. Um, which is about a thousand yards and so it's very expensive um, it's not something we promote a lot right now uh, uh we're still known for our adventure product it would be kind of funny if we went and tried to make stuff for harley so i ride adventure bikes i ride dual sport i know these things i know i kind of feel i have a good uh good idea what people need and want and so on how it all fits together um we're trying to look at you know some things other than motorcycling, but things that have crossover, you know, keeping the same customer interested in the Wolfman brand, now I've kind of gotten bigger into how do we take that customer and keep them interested, because they, they they can only buy so much motorcycle luggage, you know, and we make it to last. So the repeat business, um, unless they crash, burn, and, and break something, or buy a new bike, sold the bike with the luggage on it, they'll come back and so on um so how do we what do we do for that and that's uh some of the things we're working on the started with the uh overland duffel really nice uh duffel tail trunk but also can be used for travel i use it as a when i travel uh airlines and car and stuff like that so when you go on our website we have everything we we sell um on the website, Rain covers all the accessories and we do a full line of repair parts <clears throat> and also in the store we offer the same services um, with, uh, we usually have a bike that's loaded In um, our sales, uh, Justin and Bryson and Larry can help you out uh, get you all set up and we sell directly out of our store also also we have a local dealership Rocky Kawasaki sells our product, and then up and down the Front Range, Revzilla, Rocky Mountain ATV, Arrow Stitch, and uh, all over the place. And so we specialize in adventure
2: luggage. All right. And your site to go see all that good stuff is?
0: www.wolfmanluggage.com. And uh, we're going to have our Wolf Store Adventure Days open house Saturday, May 7th, from 10 to 2 at 350 Terry Street. Suite 150 in Longmont, Colorado. And we're going to have uh Wolf Store Specials, industry friends, some dealerships will be here, tour companies, uh, rental companies. We might have a swap meet. We don't know. Um, we're going to have a bunch of... We still have some old racks and just kind of old stuff we're trying to get rid of. We moved it, and I'm like, I want this out. So, and we'll also offer... uh my wife makes a mean hot dog. She found out. Everybody found out. And she was quite surprised. Say, like, I didn't know I could cook that well. So, uh, we do hot dogs and, uh, stuff like that. So it's usually a really fun time. We'll have, uh, people from, uh, TPA, Trail Preservation Alliance, and COVCO. And we do a dollar, uh, donation for the door for, we, Raffle off a bunch of door prizes and stuff and all the money goes to Cove Co and we match whatever it is dollar for dollar. I'm a big, big advocate on trail preservation and so on and, uh, it's very important for me to, uh, be part of that. We have our, though it's small, we try to have a little bit of a, a philanthropic enterprise within Wolfman. We're part, of, we're a corporate sponsor to the Backcountry Discovery Route. Um, and we also promote and, um, donate to TPA and Kofco. Um, because if the trails close, my business would suffer
2: a little bit. Oh, yeah. We wouldn't have any good place to ride. And there's no better place to, to ride in the country than Colorado. We have so many awesome trails to, to get out onto. So we've got we to fight to keep them open.
0: Oh, yeah. And, uh, I also, once in a while, I'll lead a trip. I'm going to be leading the Colorado Backcountry Discovery Route for Scott Lee at, He's a rental company and runs tours, so I'll be running. I did a uh, Utah last year, and everybody had a really good time. So I was asked to do Colorado. So It's going to be a little longer. I did it in three nights the first time. We motored through that one, and this one's gonna be a little slower pace.
2: Well, good. So, if you live on the Colorado Front Range, uh, what Denver to Fort Collins, we'll say, then uh, swing on on May seventh uh, from ten to two to the new Wolfman's store in Longmont and uh, visit Eric and get yourself one of those uh, great hot dogs we talk about. And maybe you win some door prizes.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. Look forward to seeing anybody and everybody.
2: Well, why don't we uh why don't we sign off with a fun story? Okay. So we've talked about busting kneecaps and the ups and downs of business. What about a good writing story that can leave us with some inspiration before we go?
0: I got a good one. Um, so I actually um, uh, my dad was in town. He had something going on at the YMCA up in uh, uh, Essex Park. So he's like, "Well, I was like, I- I'll come up." So I would ride uh, Johnny Park, uh, Pearson Park trails, and then i drop down into Estes and so on. Uh, unfortunately, due to the floods, uh, Pearson Park has been closed for about two years. Johnny Park is still open. I was on a BMW Cross Challenge at the time, so I'm kind of on the flats, gone through the rock garden, some of the technical sections. I'm kind of now more on just the, the dirt road part of uh Pearson Park, heading north towards, uh, Estes Park. And I, I, I see this kind of, something catches my eye, some movement off trail, um, off the road, uh, oh, kind of in the trees a little bit. And I'm standing on the pegs, the, uh, you know, average, uh, single cylinder dual sport bikes, pretty tall, I mean, I'm only five and, almost five ten, so, but at a foot, so I'm about to seven feet with a helmet and boots and everything on there. and this full size male moose cuts in front of the trail scared the crap out of me and <laughs> you don't see moose a lot on the front range he i spooked him somewhere he's running next to me zoom, right across do, 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 bike stalls. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Patrick dropped the bike. And I'm looking down the path that he had run. He had sheared off branches and some trunks up to almost two inches in diameter wow. with that rack. And the power that he had. I had spooked him. almost peed my pants because I was like, oh, my gosh. And then a couple, <laughs> then last year, I was coming back from a ride in Silverthorne, and I was coming, I was up in the, uh, there's this neat riding area around, uh, between Frasier, Kremling, no, Frasier, Hot Sulphur Springs, and, uh, oh, what's the pass, what's the pass? Uh, but in that area, kind of the Granby area, um I'm riding along, dun, 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 dun. I know my own business, just kind of cruising my head just kind of in the moment. I'm trotting with a moose for about a half a mile, because it's too steep for him to run down. He's kind of freaked out. I'm a little freaked out. I slow down, he speeds up a little bit, and finally kind of saw his break. I chopped the throttle, and he just kind of ran away. So, yeah, it was the two coolest things, was to ride with a moose. You don't see those that often.
2: That no, was, that is pretty that cool. Crazy. I've I've come across elk, and they are mighty big when you're on a motorcycle, but a moose. Uh, moose, that's the yeah,
0: largest I mean, uh, horse animal in in the world. I mean, out there like seven feet at the shoulder.
2: Yeah, so. yeah. I've ridden by them at distance. You know, they've been off the side of a highway maybe, oh, I don't know, 30, 30 yards off. Um, but yeah. well, you get that close to a moose, and that thing is towering over you. For yeah, you're just <laughs> like,
0: whoa! what was that? I'm like, oh, my God. They're just kind of cool because <laughs> they're so. Uh, they're not that prevalent. Uh, you get them more involved in in kind of that little uh, area, but not yeah. not much like on the front range. That's really odd. Um So yeah, those were those were cool experiences. Um I mean, it just the the stuff that motorcycle brings what motorcycling brings you know it brings you camaraderie and some of the best people i've ever met have all been on motorcycle and uh um you know it's just it's a freedom that we all know about uh you kind of get lost in yourself because it is even though you're riding with a group you're still riding your own ride and uh you know if you drop the bike well you drop the bike um so it's uh, it's it's such a rewarding uh, experience. Man,
2: yeah, just, I you know, can't agree it, any more it, than
0: that. Uh, um, though I must say, the one one area I don't know if I would enjoy riding is like traffic and lane splitting in L.A. and stuff like that. I'm like, yeah, that doesn't look too much fun. And I don't yeah, think that's not
2: is. the adventure we're out for. <laughs> yeah, I don't.
0: I, I mean, it, I remember though. In uh, I, I'll tell you another story. This was funny. This was one of the best stories. So back in uh when I started Wolfman in the early nineties, my wife worked uh for a company that made uh it was they used Guatemalan fabric to make like um MC hammer pants. It was kind of the dead were still in full force, hacky sacks, little wallets and all this stuff. And so she uh did a lot of design work for her did the she was the designer and product developer for them, so we went down to Guatemala to a small town on Lake Atitlan, which is an old volcano and uh uh that's where their head office and one of her bosses lived. There were three i think three partners, two of them were in Boulder, one was in uh Guatemala, and he ran the facility had a little house and production facility. I went down and I actually taught them how to cut fabric and uh, uh, stuff like that, how to do pattern work and how to treat patterns and so on. So I kind of earned my keep, if you will. Um, but we had to go source fabric, and it was really interesting. Um, the, these, you know, these were people's homes that they would weave, and, and the fabric was 36 inches wide. I said, "Why is that?" And he said, "Well, that's as far as the woman could throw the shuttle and catch it on the <laughs> other side." And, uh, watching them, they would dye the yarn, and then they would set the yarn, and they would show, okay, this is gonna be a person, this will be a dog, or an animal, and it was really, really neat, very, very, uh, really neat to learn. So, um is at the waterline, and kind of the surrounding area is a town called Solola, and you have to kind of go down this windy, it's paved, but I would say a kind of a grade D paved job. Kind of just contoured down from Solola to Panajachel. And at the time, they were having problems with banditos. There were a couple other towns, I mean, uh, in that area, but they're like, don't go there and so on. And the guy uh, who rented us motorcycles, so we had to go do uh, some sourcing, trying to find fabric, and we're doing it all on motorcycle. And we had uh, these; the, these were big bikes in Guatemala. Um, it was an, a DT-175 two-stroke, and uh, we rented a XT-185 four-stroke. So those are big bikes in Latin America, mainly because of taxation and so on. Like a 150 is big. You see a 1200 GS. That's a monster motorcycle.
2: Yeah, it might as well uh, be a limousine there.
0: And the reason they're expensive is their import duties are so high. Um, I mean, up to 90%. I remember talking to Ron Ayers, who was uh, running tours. He was based in Brazil. I'm like, so what? You know, what's a GS costing here? And about twenty. And this is ten plus years ago. They're twenty some thousand dollars for what we were paying, close to fifteen for. It was twenty three, I think, um, just because of import tax and stuff like that. So anyway, we're coming back, and the rule of thumb, kind of all over Latin America, unless you're in cities, you don't drive at night. And people are like, why? Well, uh, it's this weird thing that I knew in Bolivia was uh, in Bolivia, people never drove with their headlights on. They'd use their parking lights, but they never drove their headlights on. People are like, why? Because it saves the battery.
2: That was the theory.
0: Really? Uh, uh, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. You're not using your battery.
2: They don't use alternators down there.
0: Oh, they do, but there's just this kind of weird thing, (laughs) at least at the time. And and when you'd come to something, you just flash your lights. You don't honk. You just kind of flash your lights at night if they're on. Or you turn them on kind of thing. So it was just kind of a theory. And like in Baja, you don't travel at night because cows migrate to the roads and stuff like that. But um, so we're coming back from doing all this. We spent a day out looking for fabric and got some leads and so on. And it's becoming dusk. Now, the road to go from Solola to Panahachel at the time, big military base. They were still having a lot of problems, uh, military guerrilla war- warfare going on. And, uh, so there's a, uh, a, a draw, a, a, a drawbridge, not a drawbridge, but the arm, um, uh, what is that, uh, like a railroad arm, um, what do you
2: call it's it? It's a crossing.
0: Crossing. So they have one of those. And at a certain time of night, they close it because they want to close the road. They don't want people going up and down. They just want to just shut the road for the night, unless it's an absolute emergency. So we're right at the cross. We're right at the at the uh at the at the crossing at the threshold, if you will. It's getting dark, and we're all looking around. We're going, "Are we going to do this?" And uh, the. the the, the guys are like, well, you know, you got to make a decision quick because we're going to close the road. We're going to put the guard, the the gate down, and it's done. And we're like, oh man, I don't know, man. I want to go sleep in my bed. We got to get down. We got to do this, and yeah, uh, you know, and then the commandant's like, what's going on here? So the commander, of the whole army base, and then you got tanks and military vehicles, and I don't know how many men, and barracks and all that stuff, barbed wire, just like a traditional smaller military base. And he goes, look. Because I'll make it you. Do. You can spend the night in my guest room. You—that's the safest place in Guatemala. You're surrounded by, you know, X amount of troops, all heavily armed. My wife, her boss, and I—we look all at each other and went, "Nah!" And we jumped on the bike and just took off. So my wife is <laughs> tucked behind me. I mean, literally as small as she can get. Her boss. Is, oh, maybe 10 feet in front of me. And we were going as fast as these little, uh, we were on, uh, I think we were on the DT-175. So these two strokes, we were just ringing them out. Out of the corner of my eye, I see three banditos running down the trail. It's like a straight down shot. And they got guns. You can see the guns that they're carrying. And, uh, we're like, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. Right, I, pa- right as their foot hit the pa hit the uh the tarmac, the pavement, I had passed. And we were like, Woohoo, flicking them off, flicking them off. Go, go, go. We get into Panaha Channel and it was as if it was the finish line. <laughs> we blow through and people are like, yeah. 'Cause they could see our two lights just going down, wiggling down the mountain as fast as possible. <laughs> so we get in, and it was like this big, Yeah, you made it. You're a guy you stupid, but you made it and we're like, Yeah So we go to return the bikes. The owner who is this French guy yelling at us in French, cussing at us. You could have my bikes could have been stolen. I, I, and we're like, yeah, but we made it. And he's like, you did. That is cool. But nah, 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 nah. So <laughs> that was one of the that was one of the funkiest things we I've ever done on a bike, and chased by.
2: Wow, oh, that's either. crazy. Yeah, that was pretty cool. That that's was crazy. Cool. So lived through it once, but don't really want to go back. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to
0: do that again. So that's great. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
2: Well, it's been fun uh, talking about uh, motorcycles and in business with you. I appreciate you uh, oh, coming on and, and sharing that with us. That's awesome. Absolutely. Thanks for having us.
1: Well, first of all, thank you so much for listening to this episode. It really means the world to us that you want to spend your time with us. If you'd like to help us further, please just leave us a review on iTunes. Share us on social media. Tell your friends about us. You can become a patron, a supporter of the show for $5 a month at patreon.com slash Podcast. And if you know somebody that would make a good guest, reach out. We're always looking for good adventure and outdoor stories. And lastly, thank you to our sponsors whose messages follow right now. Athletic Brewing makes the best non-alcoholic craft beer. Go to their website at athleticbrewing.com and use the code in our show notes to save 15% on your first order. After all this adventure talk, if you're needing some gear yourself, but you need some advice before buying, go to backpacktribe.com, where you can ask questions to the owners who have experience with all the gear, as well as all of it for sale right there on their website.